Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. This week, the House Ways and Means Committee held a markup on several bills, one of which was the Employer Reporting Improvement Act, H.R. 3801. This is different than the Common Sense Reporting Bill. First, let's start with the issue of employer reporting and why NABIP has focused on this as a priority. Thanks, Husni. And this week is kind of like health week over on the Hill. And there are several markups in several committees, House Ways and Means and House Education and Workforce. Also, Senate Finance is looking at different pieces on healthcare consolidation. So this has been a very, very busy week. But we do want to celebrate this big win on employer reporting. And This is an issue we have been working on for several years, really since the ACA passed. And because of the language in the ACA, we knew that the agencies would develop rules for how employers were going to report to show that they were in compliance with the employer mandate. And even back then, over a decade ago, NABIP then NAHU, of course, was reaching out to the different agencies, the Department of Treasury, HHS, and the Department of Labor, to try to provide some insight on what we thought would be the best way to comply with this section of the ACA. Eventually, they the agencies came out with their rulemaking, and they put together the system that we have now with employer reporting, where employers are reporting at the end of the year who had coverage and, and when. And so this is how we got to the point with all of those fun measurement periods and look back periods. And we commented that we thought that this would be very burdensome and felt that a prospective reporting system would be better where employers are reporting at the beginning of the year what they're offering instead of at the end of the year. But eventually, the departments finalized those other rules with the reporting at the end of the year. And that's how we got to this point where we have been pushing for legislation to change the employer reporting since that went through the rulemaking on the agency side. So when the agencies have done something and we try to get that changed and they're they're not changing through rulemaking, then NABIP often goes to Congress to ask them to step in and make some changes. And, and that's what we're seeing here. So we've come a long way working on getting to this point. What are, were some of the challenges of previous Congresses to getting this passed? Yes. So we've worked, like I said, for several years on this. Early on with trying to change the employer reporting system, there were some views on the Hill that the way that the language was put together was trying to do away with the employer mandate. And while there are definitely some some issues with the employer mandate, that's not at all what we were trying to do. It was really focusing on trying to make the system easier 
easier for employers. We were hearing from all of you that your employer clients were really struggling with the requirements and that especially those small businesses that may not have an HR team and finance team that's able to go through and process all of these pieces and be in compliance, that they were really struggling and and sometimes paying quite a lot of money to have someone else perhaps do the employer reporting for them. So we weren't trying to do away with the mandate. We just wanted to make it easier so that employers could be a little bit more nimble with this and not in some cases have one person who's just dedicated to doing compliance on this piece. So once we were able to get through that burden and show that, no, we weren't trying to do away with the employer mandate. We were able to really gain some more traction. Also, because this law is touching the ACA, there were also some political issues with that. So early on after the ACA passed, any legislation that was going to change the ACA Republicans would oppose because they didn't want the ACA to change with any improvements because they didn't want the ACA to work. And Democrats would also sometimes oppose it because they think the ACA is perfect. And of course, it doesn't need any changes. So that was also a huge struggle as we went through the years with trying to push these changes to employer reporting. Now we're at a place politically where changes to the ACA aren't as politically charged. It's not this red meat and on the hill. And so there is interest in instead of thinking it of, you know, making the ACA work or criticizing it that it doesn't work. Now it's seen really more as what can we do to help employers and what can we do to ease this burden? So definitely a shift in the mindset as well that has helped us along the way. I mentioned earlier that the Employer Reporting Improvement Act evolved from the Common Sense Reporting Bill. How are these bills different, and what are the wins for NABIP and the new bill? So the Common Sense Reporting Bill is the traditional language that we've used over the past several Congresses, and it includes that voluntary reporting provision that would have allowed for employers, if they so choose, to report at the beginning of the year what they were offering employers instead of at the end of the year. And so that's the voluntary reporting piece. So they could either choose to do that or they could choose to stick with the reporting system that we have now. Uh, The Common Sense Reporting Bill also included some of these other pieces that I'll talk about that are in the Employer Reporting Improvement Act. But that was the main, this is the main difference is that the Common Sense Reporting Bill includes that voluntary prospective reporting and the Employer Reporting Improvement Act does not. And this is because of conversations that both NABIP and Ways and Means, House Ways and Means staff have had with the Department of Treasury. Their perspective is that the voluntary prospective reporting it would be too difficult for the Department of Treasury to be able to set up a data hub to be able to comply and it, that it would be too expensive, too time-consuming for them. Just a lot of different pieces that they don't think would work well for the agencies. And so House Ways and Means, in order to get this bill moving, and they really wanted it to be marked up this week, because like I said, both the House and Senate are focusing on a lot of different healthcare bills this week. So in order to get some of the other wins that I'm going to talk about in a second, the House Ways and Means 
And the sponsors, Representative Smith and Thompson, took the voluntary reporting out of that bill and just focused on the other pieces. And that's how we got the Employer Reporting Improvement Act, which did pass favorably out of committee. So the wins here, so I talked about what is is no longer included, but what is still included, and these are really big pieces, the Employer Reporting Improvement Act includes provisions so that employers would no longer have to collect and retain the social security numbers for dependents who aren't even on the employer plan. There's just no reason for them to have to take that information and store it and have it to be a possible threat of security breach. So that will no longer be a requirement if this bill passes the full House and Senate. Then this bill also extends the time period for employers to respond to that first 226J letter challenging whether they're in compliance with employer reporting. So it extends the time period that employers have when they receive that first 226J letter. Right now it's 30 days. And through the pandemic, we saw that employers were really struggling to meet that 30-day requirement. And because of that, we were also hearing that this is very challenging even before the pandemic. During the pandemic, it was a challenge because some employers weren't coming into the offices regularly. So they weren't picking up their mail. So they may not have received the IRS notice until hopefully not past the 30 days, but it may have received it and it sat in the mailbox for two weeks. And then they only have 15 days to respond. So this started a conversation about lengthening that time period. And we've also heard that when employers get that 226J letter, the 30 days goes by really fast. Sometimes they don't have someone on staff that knows how to respond to those letters. They have to reach out and ask for help, seek professional assistance. And so the 90 days is really a lot more flexible for the employers. There's also the issue that the IRS is sometimes asking about reporting from years past, like several years past, where the employer might not even have that employee anymore. So they're trying to reconcile a lot of different records and be in compliance and or to be even able to answer the question of whether they agree or disagree with the 226J letter. So the 90 days is something that will be really helpful. And then finally, the one of our big wins is putting what is kind of like a statute of limitations on how far back the IRS can go when they're sending out and trying to gauge compliance with the employer mandate and employer reporting. So this limits it to six years. We know some of you work with employers that are getting these notices that are several years past and the IRS is so far behind in reconciling their records. And we really think that there should be a limit on how far back they can go. We wanted it to be three years, but they compromised at six years and we'll take it. And so we're really excited about having these changes that, just like the title of the bill said, will lead to an improvement for employer reporting. So you alluded to this earlier, but NAPIC was a go-to resource for the House Ways and Means Committee in drafting this language and getting support from the Treasury Department. What sort of work did NAPIC do with the committee staff? Yes. So we started off the congressional year at the beginning of this year working with them to get that common sense reporting bill language together. There were a few items that they wanted to alter just very slightly from the previous language, and they came to us to make sure we were happy with the bill. 
And then when the Ways and Means staff got the response from Treasury that they didn't feel the voluntary prospective reporting would be something that they could do from a technology perspective, the House Ways and Means staff came to us and asked how the bill would work if they took that out. Is it still workable? Are these other things still wins? And they absolutely are. And so we went back and forth with them on language to the point where I was even on the phone with Ways and Means staff on Sunday night because they were trying to button all of this up and wanted to be able to have it at a markup this week, which they were successfully able to do. We also put the Ways and Means staff in touch with some of our NABIT members so they could hear directly from members on how this was impacting their employer clients. For example, with the language around the 226J letters, they reached out to us because when the Department of Treasury saw that language, they felt like that employers have enough time to respond to the 226J letter, that you're responding, that you agree or disagree, and that's not where the additional time is needed. And it's because of the language that was used in that initial draft. It asked for 90 days to appeal the 226 letter. And in Treasury, when they're really going down into the weeds, they were saying, but you don't appeal a 226J letter. You respond back that you agree or disagree. The appeal is to the 227 letter, but that's the one that employers receive where it is creating a federal lien against the employer for that penalty payment. And that is very difficult to appeal, number one, so that, I mean, a future project we can work on. But number two, it's totally different than the experience with the 226J. So to clean that language up, instead of saying they extend to 90 days to appeal the 226J, now it says respond to 226J. I know that seems really small and technical, but that was the way we were able to get it through and get the support of Treasury on that piece. And those were all items that we worked really closely with the Ways and Means staff to be able to get that language cleaned up and have it on the floor for a markup this week. What are the next steps for this bill and how can NABIT members and their clients support our efforts? So the next steps are for this bill to go to the full House floor for a vote. It's likely that it'll be wrapped up into a larger package with some other health care bills that they're looking at. We also have to get it introduced on the Senate side, but now that it is passed out of the House Ways and Means Committee, it is much easier for us to go over to the Senate side and show that bipartisan support for the bill and be able to get those sponsors over there. We lost our Senate champion in the midterm, so we're working on putting those together, but have some great leads. And like I said, now that we have favorable markup from the House, it makes it that much easier to go over to the Senate. And then we will be working with both chambers to make sure that the language stays intact as it's added into any of the larger bills that they'll be looking at. But because we had that change from the Common Sense Reporting Act to the Employer Reporting Improvement Act, it does have a new bill number. So now we're throwing our support behind HR 3801. And what NABIP members can do to support this is to check your email for your NABIP Operation Shout. That's that tool that allows us to connect you with your members of Congress so you can ask them to co-sponsor HR 3801. And 
it'll also have a piece where you can forward it to your employer clients so they can send a message to their member of Congress and just show how much support the employer community has behind making these improvements to the employer reporting system. So make sure you check your email for that Operation Shout message. If you don't see it there, it is online in our Advocacy Center, and it's also in this Friday's Washington Update newsletter that also is delivered to you via email. Having those messages go to the Hill from you all and from your clients is just a huge help to us. So we can go in and when we're meeting with members of Congress, we can tell them that we know that however 100 people in their district sent them a message saying that they want this to pass. So this is one of the biggest grassroots efforts that we'll have and I think will really help to make this a success. So please go and send in your Operation Shout as soon as you're able. It's now time for NABIP's Toast of the Week. Marcy, what are we toasting to? This week, we are toasting to Pride Month. It's June, and we want to raise a glass to all of our LGBTQIA members and those that are in our extended community and toast to them and celebrate Pride. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.